This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. She's a chartered financial analyst. Today's show will have two parts. Since we're in the middle of Hanukkah and Christmas is coming soon, we'll discuss holiday spending without adding to your debt. Then a logical second part, paying uh, tips for paying down holiday debt. We're going to welcome back Bruce McClary, a senior vice president at the National Foundation for Credit Counseling this hour. Also, Nancy's ready for your personal finance questions. You can contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Nancy. Before we dig into the news of the week, we have an early caller. So why don't we say good morning to our friend Sue, who calls in from Beaumont. Sue, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Okay, I want to ask Nancy a question. Go ahead. I heard this expose on television about Bitcoin, and I know this is not anything to do with the holidays, but what in the heck was Bitcoin? What's it all about? And they, <laughs> why would anyone want to uh, fool around with anything that's not uh, backed by the U.S. Treasury? I don't understand that at all. Amen. Amen. Um, okay. Uh, first of all, uh, Sue, we, we probably need to have an entire show on cryptocurrency, which is what Bitcoin is. Um, and I will take this is a disclaimer. What I know about cryptocurrency will fit in a, a thimble and still have room left <laughs> over. But I will tell you a few things. First of all, it is a made up type of currency. It is a digital currency and there are several different kinds. Bitcoin is one of the first ones, but there are other ones out there with different names. And the problem I have with the all of that cryptocurrency, it doesn't really qualify as money. And it doesn't qualify as money because there are three things that it needs to do to be able to qualify as money. And, you know, the first is you can use it to buy things. Well, we are seeing that happening with cryptocurrency. People are using it to buy things. Um, you are using it to store value, which people do buy, take their other dollars and store it in cryptocurrency. Yes, that check on that one. But the third thing that it you can you can see it as a unit of account or a unit of value, which means it's not that volatile. You can then uh, look at a loaf of bread and measure it in in cryptocurrency of some kind and understand that value. That's where it misses the mark. Um, and the biggest problem with the whole cryptocurrency is it's really kind of happening off the books. That is, it's not regulated like other securities are. Um, the Securities and Exchange Commission is looking at the whole area, all kinds of issues. We've had some fraud lately in that area. But when you get into cryptocurrency, you know, it's basically what a, an old accounting professor used to say to me, you pays your money, you take your chances. And um, so it's taking a lot of risk. There are people who have made a lot of money in cryptocurrency. But of course, we have seen Bitcoin decline in value of the last year, about 70%. So it's an area I stay away from. I don't consider it 
money. I don't consider it a security. Um, I consider it the Wild West, and I'm just going to keep my money somewhere safer. I agree with everything you said, but why would anybody be so dumb as to get hooked up with that? Well, uh, you know, I think we're humans, and we're always enticed when we hear about somebody making a lot of money fast. And so we want to jump in on the game. It's how bubbles form because we hear about somebody and they've invested in something and they've turned a big profit. And by golly, I'm going to jump over there. And so we tend to do that. We tend to pile on and then often get caught holding the bag. One day I hope you can have a whole show about that or something because it's still mysterious to me. You know, it's not backed by the U.S. currency. I'm not with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and the biggest advantage of a cryptocurrency is that it's not attached to one country. And so it allows for transactions to go across borders without having to uh, go through exchanges of that currency. So that's an advantage. And we think at some point we're going to have a cryptocurrency that will fit the bill of money, but we're a long way off now. All right, uh, Sue, thanks for your call. Uh, just a reminder, Ryder is sort of our resident expert on cryptocurrency. He's out And he's week. not here. He's traveling the country. So uh, we'll probably dig into that maybe in the early part of next year. Uh, the other thing, my observation is for a while there, it seemed like there were a lot of cryptocurrency ads on television. And yeah, they've disappeared, right? Since that scandal, yeah, it seems like you're not seeing that as much anymore. No, so. absolutely not. The other interesting thing to me, uh, it, when you travel abroad and you have a foreign currency, you were that idea of trying to figure out what it's worth and you know how many yeah. of this currency for a loaf of bread. That was to me was always the challenge when you go to another country. You got to figure out their currency. So uh, what's on your mind, financially speaking, this week? Well, the conversation that we've been having in the office and at home and among friends is, where are all the workers? And we have three and a half million fewer workers now than we did before the pandemic. So where have those people gone? In the last couple of weeks, Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, made a speech about this and addressed all of those issues. And I would encourage our listeners to go and find that speech. But there are a couple of main things going on there. One that's been happening for a long time, which is we have an aging population. You know, you and I, Kevin, are getting older. We're heading towards towards retirement. And so as those workers retire, do we have enough younger people coming in to fill those spots? And we have not. And the pandemic accelerated that because people in their 50s, we knew were pulling out of the workforce, were retiring early. They, If they could retire early, they felt more vulnerable because of this virus. And so they went ahead and stepped away. Um, so that's a main thing that's been going on. It just got accelerated. But the other thing that's connected to something that we're hearing on the news a lot right now is immigration. And so uh, if you look back at the charts, you'll see that immigration started to decline rapidly in 2016, and it's basically fallen off the cliff. So we need new people coming into this country to fill those jobs. And in particular, we need them in service-type jobs where our own citizens, even our high schoolers, aren't willing to take those jobs. So um, I've always been one of those when it comes to immigration policy. I think it should be legal immigration, but I think it should be attached to whatever our unemployment rate is. And because we have such a tight labor market, it's the reason that wages are um, being inflated at the rate of about 5%. And until we address that, we're not going to see inflation come down significantly. 
Uh, this is Money Talks, and we have a, sh- a guest on our show this morning. We're going to welcome back to the show Bruce McClary, Senior Vice President at the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Bruce, thanks for joining us. If you would, tell us a little bit about the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Uh, it's great to be back on the program. And uh, the, the NFCC is a nonprofit organization. It's a nationwide network of other nonprofits that provide financial counseling throughout the United States, serving all 50 states. And these organizations offer help with affordable debt repayment plans, uh, advice on buying your first home and guidance through that process, uh, foreclosure prevention counseling, uh, also student loan repayment counseling, and uh, small business owner financial counseling, as well as many other uh, types of counseling and education focused on uh, household budgeting and uh, achieving um, financial well-being. So uh, it's it's a national uh, resource for everybody, no matter where they live, and everybody can access services of these nonprofit organizations through the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Uh, you have a website. It's nfcc.org. If you would, uh, tell us what folks can find there. Yes, uh, the, the website is, is very full-featured, so not only does it give you a way to connect with a uh, credit counselor or a housing counselor or to connect with some of the uh, other resources provided by our nationwide member network, uh, but there are also uh, informational blogs on the website that address a wide variety of, of questions that people have about managing their budget, personal finance, uh, repaying debt affordably. Uh, and all kinds of things that, uh, that that people wonder about throughout the year. That 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 information is available for free. Uh, there are some interactive calculators on the website to help you if you're struggling with your household budget or wondering how long it's going to take you to pay off your credit cards. Uh, so the website itself is is very full featured, and then of course it gives you an option to call a credit counselor, uh, and the phone number is is right there on the website. It's one eight hundred three eight eight two 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 seven. And that gets you through to a uh, to talk directly to a counselor if you need somebody to give you personalized assistance uh, with some of the questions that you have. So that's great. So you've got the general information on there, but as you mentioned, also a way to get in touch personally if if someone has a specific uh, issue that they need uh, discussed or that they're looking for assistance for. So. Uh, We're going to be visiting with Bruce throughout the hour. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about holiday debt with our guest Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Bruce has been on the show a few times. We'll tell you about those podcasts next. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, and you can listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. Uh, We've got a guest today. It's Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Bruce spoke with us about pandemic student loans on March 9th of 2021 and credit counseling on May 12th of 2020. So you can find those podcasts if those topics interest you. Today, though, we're talking about holiday debt. So, uh, Bruce, uh, let's get a little close. I guess some people are still doing some light holiday shopping. But uh, what's uh, uh, some tips and some advice to avoid falling into the trap of spending too much money this time of year? Yeah, there are a lot of things to keep in mind, and, and sometimes it becomes all too much when you're scrambling at the last minute to try to uh, to buy some gifts. It's very interesting, actually. I was just talking to some colleagues today of mine who 
who know these tips by heart, yet they're still behind in their shopping and they're going to end up in that last minute uh, crush. But, you know, there's still hope. You can still stay on track. I think one of the first things you need to do is to is set a spending limit, to, to be realistic about how much you have available to spend and what your priorities are. So you, you need to sit down and determine that limit and, and know that this is, this is where you have to be. This is your limit. This is what you can spend. This is going to guide your gift buying. Uh, so that that's essential because uh, it's it's sort of the roadmap situation. You you may know where you're going, but you might need a roadmap to know how to get there. And that spending limit uh, is is part of that roadmap. You have to know where you're going where you're starting and where you're going to end. And there are all kinds of ways you can do this. Uh, you know, you can just in general. It doesn't have to be minutia. You can say, for example, 50% can be spent on gifts for relatives and 25% of your cash reserves can be spent uh, on friends and, and another 25% can be spent on food. You know, you can just use uh, broad categories there and then get down into the details later as you're out shopping or looking for things. But at least it gives you a little bit more accuracy in determining how much you can spend on different things rather than uh, – you know, overspending initially and then being in that panic of, of oh, my gosh, i got to cut back now. And, Bruce, I've been trying to um, encourage people to be reasonable and pull back because the problem right now, as we've talked earlier, is that we have a tight labor market. People are working. They've gotten good raises. They have the ability to move up to other jobs. Mm-hmm. But I'm also hearing the drumbeat of a possible recession in 2023. And so that really worries me about people taking uh, too much risk as far as their spending plans because they feel so comfortable in their uh, job situation. And then something happens uh, later on next year. So to always plan for what if I lose my job in the next few months, what will this look like, and to be very cautious going into the season with that in mind. Well, that's that's a great approach because, uh, Nancy, there's a lot of reason to be uh, conservative with your spending and to be careful about how we're approaching the new year when it comes to our cash reserves and protecting them and also avoiding going deeper into debt. Uh, TransUnion just released a forecast uh, this uh, just the other week, or I think it was this past week, uh, predicting that uh, credit card delinquency rates in the new year are going to be reaching record levels, uh, approaching where they were uh, during the Great Recession. And you know that's the reason for that is is this big stew that we're facing of recession and inflation and all of these other things, the higher cost of living. Uh, that have been driving debt levels up and, and will ultimately drive delinquency levels up. So, and, and that's yeah, really, guard your money. That's really troublesome because um, this is happening as interest rates are going up. So those credit right. cards where you're packing all of that on um, have variable interest rates, and those companies can change mm-hmm. their rates at any time. You need to pay attention to that and to really let that slap you in the face of how much that is costing you. So that combination of rising rates on that consumer debt and the possibility that your job might not be so secure next year means people should be very conservative. Very conservative. Use yeah. Use cash when you're spending for the holidays as much as possible, and try to avoid uh, borrowing on credit cards. 
You know, Bruce, you talked about that spending them, and I think it's important, too, to remember gift-giving is obviously important this time of year, but there are a lot of holiday parties and that sort of thing, and you might be hosting one. So if you're going to set a spending limit or maybe a little Christmas budget, holiday budget, as it were, make sure that you include everything uh, so that you've got all your bases covered, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure you don't leave anything out because, again, then you might find yourself in a situation where you might end up overspending or uh, – putting yourself in a situation of maybe uh, leaning on debt a little bit to cover an area that you forgot about, but, you know, it comes up and, and, and you need to, uh, need to take care of it. So you have to be careful and just make sure you're detailed about covering all the categories. So if you are shopping and you're using credit to pay for some of what you're buying, Bruce, do you have any advice tips for, to make sure that you don't go overboard? I know one of them was, you know, if you want to buy something, maybe wait 10, 15 minutes to try to convince yourself that it's really something you want and not just something you need. Any other types of advice like that? Yeah, I think giving yourself that, uh, that moment of pause is very helpful because, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're, when you're in the cycle of shopping, you know, there's that adrenaline and there's that psychology of, of, of spending and, you know, you want to keep the train rolling, you see what you want, you grab it, you go to the checkout, you buy it. Uh, and if you're online, certainly it's easy to click your way through that process in nanoseconds. Uh, but it, I think it, it, it helps to take a deep breath, to back away for a minute, uh, and think carefully about how much you're spending, what you're buying, and whether or not you've done due diligence and checked around to make sure you're getting the best deal and, and the item you want. Uh, but it also gives you a moment as well to think about how you're going to cover the cost. And sometimes it's easy to throw the plastic down, or these days it's easy to click the button to do the buy now, pay later offer, uh, which is another form of borrowing that uh, adds convenience and uh, speed to the to the purchasing process. Uh, so you just want to give your time, yourself time to think through those things before you make the wrong choice and have no way to undo that later. Well, I also see a lot of people who have multiple credit cards. And when you have multiple mm-hmm. credit cards, it's easy to fool yourself into thinking you just have just a little bit hanging out there. And I think it's important to sit down every month if you do use multiple cards and add it all up. Again, right. let it slap you in the face as far as how much debt you have accumulated. I prefer to use one card for all of my personal usage, and so it all totals up. And sometimes it's a surprise to me. You know, I get the alerts all the time, but I'm not tracking it on a daily basis. And I get that statement at the end of the month, and I think, my gosh, how did I do that? That could not be right. And I go down and look at the list, and I think, yeah, I did do that. Um, so having just one card that offers you some discipline to, so you realize how much you're taking on. I think the other thing, you mentioned cash, but um, using PayPal or Venmo, but not using the credit option on PayPal, have it come straight out of your bank account so that it is more pay as you go. So that's another way to approach it. Yeah, that, that, that's a good approach. Uh, and I think if you're using cash, you also want to be careful, too, if you're using debit cards just to make sure that you're staying within your uh, purchase limit, uh, your spending limit, and you don't go overboard and, and overdraw your account. This is Money Talk. We are visiting today with Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. If you have a question, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And we do have a caller, so we say good morning to Tim, who's calling us from Pearl. Tim, you're on the air with us. Your turn. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, well, um, the caller, well, the guest kind of touched on it my question uh, a little bit, 
It was, um, a question was, what's your opinion about the new, um, I call it the new railway. Uh, there's a, like, buy now, pay later. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I grew up when, you know, you basically had railway when you pay on it a little bit of time, then you get it out, basically, like, in wintertime, your summer clothes. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And now you can, <laughs> you can, you know, do it, <laughs> get it now instead of having to wait, and then you get payments and stuff. What's your well, I, I think it's okay to approach something like that uh, with a layaway. and uh, Even with credit cards at Christmas, I always tell families, you know, if you've got a couple of kids and you're buying bicycles, those are big items that you're purchasing. And you may not be able to pay that whole card off in one month similar to layaway. But if you have a certain number of months, I usually say no more than four, that you are able to clear it all out, then that may be the way to go, the the way to purchase as long as you plan and build that into your budget so that you do that. Um, the sad thing that happens to me that I see sometimes is families, um, they get excited about putting things on layaway, and then they're not able to finish paying that off. So beware of that. Also watch for any kind of fees that might be incurred because of using that system. So, Bruce, uh, you mentioned yeah. earlier that uh, option, I think primarily on online shopping, where, you know, the uh, buy now and pay for it in installments. Uh, any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would point out, and Tim brought up a good point when he was talking about uh, – Buy now, pay later, and he compared it to layaway. Buy now, pay later is not layaway. It does not function like layaway. It seems like it does, but it's not. Those are two very different animals. Layaway is when you put your money down as a series of deposits to ultimately get to the full price of the product, and then you pick it up. You're not borrowing any money in that process. A buy now, pay later uh, account is a loan. You are borrowing money from a lender, so it is it is a it is a contract to repay what you borrow over a series of payments. So I think there's a little more consequence to that than there is uh, to a, a layaway program, uh, but it also allows you to be in receivership of the good or service that you're buying immediately at the point of sale. Uh, so that's why I think people need to be really careful before they click on that button when they're in Amazon or whatever online uh, uh, marketplace they happen to be and they click that uh, buy now, pay later button, because yes, it does give you the ability to make uh, payments in installments and receive the item immediately, uh, but it is a loan. Sometimes it's an interest-free loan. Sometimes they promise that you don't have to make, uh, that you won't be charged late fees if you miss a payment, Uh, but there is a contract and there are details, and there is a a cost in some cases to, uh, to using these services. So just be very careful. And I think Nancy brought up the point about being careful about fees. Uh, so that I would underscore that as well. And you also don't want to go overboard with buy now, pay later, uh, because there really is no mechanism pr- to prevent you from overborrowing in that area. Uh, so you can you can buy 10, 12, you know, 14, 20 items in an afternoon, all on buy now, pay later. Well, that's 20 separate buy now, pay later uh, accounts that you have to repay, uh, and that can get very tricky. So just be careful. Use use uh, a degree of caution when you're out there in the marketplace if you're thinking about using that as a tool. Bruce, uh, let me ask this question because I've never used those. Um, if you do click on that, for instance, if you do it on Amazon, you usually have your credit card information put in there. So as, as soon as it goes to the next cycle, are you automatically um, invoiced for that? Uh, does it automatically go on your credit card? How does that work? Yeah, you can set up uh, you can set up these accounts so that you're auto paying based on the due date of each buy now pay later account. 
so that can help you stay on time and stay on track, uh, it certainly makes it a convenience. I'm not entirely sure uh, that, well, Amazon, if, you're, if your credit card is stored on Amazon for Amazon purchases directly to the credit card, that's one thing. Right. Uh, but using the Buy Now, Pay Later service, there may be some setup involved. I haven't used it on Amazon, uh, so I'm not exactly sure what if it ties in directly to your credit card automatically or because the Buy Now, Pay Later vendor is not Amazon, you may have to go through some setup in terms of setting up an account. You also have to go through an approval process because it is a loan. They do check your credit. However, it is a soft pull. It's not a hard pull, so it's not going to have a negative impact uh, like it would if you, you know, went to a credit card issuer. Uh, but they do check your credit in order to approve you for these things. Uh, so there is a bit of a uh, process there as well. Thank you, Tim. That was a great question. Got us good uh, discussion going. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about how to avoid and get rid of holiday debt. It's a recurring topic for us here on Money Talks, and so we'll tell you some other times we've discussed it next. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. She is a chartered financial analyst. Holiday debt is a problem for many Mississippians, and we've discussed it a couple of times. If you'd like to go back and listen to the previous broadcasts, search for June 29th of 2021 and October 8th of 2019. Visiting with us today on Money Talks is Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Before we go any further, a couple of calls to get to. We begin again in Madison. Piero is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Oh, uh, hi. Uh, good morning. I uh, just wanted to say a quick thing about the Amazon thing that people might not realize. Um, the transactions that you make aren't perfectly timed, so you can actually order something and won't be charged to your account exactly when you expect it. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, but my main question was, so I was noticing, obviously, the uh, program is related to more seasonal uh, things to be proactive about financially, like don't overbuy on gifts, manage cards carefully. What's something we can be thinking about in that same proactive fashion uh, regarding factors like housing or insurance? But Well, um, I think you need to pay attention to what's happening on the ground uh, with housing. We are seeing some positives along the way. The first is a decline in the median house price. Certainly, we're not going back mm-hmm. to pre-pandemic levels, but that is helping the housing market a little bit. Of course, that's also happening at the same time where our mortgage rates have increased, and so it makes it more expensive to buy a house. But the other thing that's been a real positive in the last couple of weeks is we've seen a significant decline in rents. And so that is going to be helping across the board as far as those rising prices. Um, insurance, um, that's a whole different area. And, of course, that's going to be... <laughs> be related to what the risks are in your local area. Um, If you're in a hurricane-prone area, like people on the coast where I grew up, you have to consider uh, flood insurance. Are you in a a recognized flood zone so that you get relief on that? All kinds of things that happen there. Uh, Heard just this morning about an earthquake in Northern California. You're going to have earthquake insurance all of those things that go into place. But you always want to have insurance to protect your assets. And the other thing I tell people about insurance, because I hear this all the time, well, why do I pay all this money, these big premiums, and I never use it? Well, you hope you never use it. And um, you, you don't need insurance until you need insurance. Health insurance, those can be big premiums, and you hope you're not going to need them. But when you have a catastrophic event, that's what insurance is designed for, is to 
protect you against the risk that you can't protect yourself against. And the other thing I push against with my clients at some point, I have clients who are aging, reaching a point where maybe they no longer need life insurance because they have retirement income and their children are gone, um, or even someone who's accumulated a massive amount of wealth that doesn't need long-term care insurance versus somebody who has a smaller amount of wealth that would need that. To really tell people, keep the insurance when you can't protect yourself, but at some point, it may not be reasonable to hold on to that policy, or you may have become self-insured because you've accumulated enough assets to cover any losses that could occur. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your call this morning. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Off to Crystal Springs we go. Zach has called in today. Good morning, Zach. Go ahead. Uh, Good morning. I was wondering if you could explain what credit utilization is, and is there like a magic number where you can keep an account open just to show that you're a responsible payer? Yes, you can. Um, So credit utilization, I think, is is related to how much of your available credit you are using. Um, There is a great... uh, video on the Federal Reserve site, I'd have to look to find it again, that really talks about how your credit score is calculated and um, how much of your credit is being used versus how much you could have access to is part of that calculation. It is the second variable that is contributes to that. The first is, do you make your payments on time? And then there's some other things in there. So yes, you can keep an account opened uh, just to show, like a credit card account, and pay it off every month to show you have a record of paying on time. Uh, you can limit how much you're using of that. You don't want to go up all the way up until your very uh, last dollar on your credit limit. And that will be then something that creditors look at when they consider whether to loan you additional money. Uh, Bruce, we mentioned your website earlier, nfcc.org. And I imagine that there is a lot of good information about credit and credit scores on there. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah. Uh, you know, with regard to the uh, credit utilization issue that, uh, that Zach brought up, uh, just a couple of points on that. There is information on our website, of course, at nfcc.org, uh, talking about uh, credit utilization, cu- credit utilization ratio, helping you calculate a credit utilization ratio, which I guess in a complicated way I could explain it. It's just basically the sum of all of your balances divided by the sum of your credit card's limits. Uh, but from a, from a credit score perspective, I think the lower your balances are across the board, uh, the better it will reflect on your credit score because you don't want to look like you're becoming over indebted and you don't want to drive those balances uh, you know, closer and closer to your assigned credit limits. So it's always a good idea to keep it low. And just from a budgeting perspective, it's a good idea to pay off your balances uh, before the, from month to month so they don't roll over and you don't have to pay those interest and fees that come along with carrying balances over a period of time. So there's really a benefit Uh, for trying to pay off your balances uh, as you purchase items. And that automatically, just by default, keeps your uh, ratio low. But just as a rule of thumb, uh, most experts say that you should keep your your balances below 30% of your overall credit limit. Uh, And that's, that's generally a good rule of thumb for a number of reasons, including making sure that you're not paying so much in interest uh, for the balances that you owe over time. All right, Zach, thank you for your call. This is uh, 
Money Talks on MPB Think Radio and visiting today with Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. We're looking for your personal finance questions as we discuss ways to limit uh, holiday debt, and then we're going to get into also uh, how to tackle that debt in the coming year. We do have another caller on the line, though, so let's uh, stay on the phone lines. This time it's Chickasaw County. Amy has called in today. Good morning, Amy. Go ahead. Uh, I wanted to know, is it legal uh, for banks to charge a non-user fee? Yes, it is. Uh, they can certainly do that. So if you, um, that's why whenever you need some type of service, whether it's a check cashed uh, or maybe you just need a signature guarantee or a notary or some kind of service of the bank, it's better to go to the bank that you use on a regular basis. Um, and that, you know, that can even include ATM fees. And certainly anybody who uses an ATM will recognize if you use one that's outside of the group, then you're going to face a charge that could be significant percentage-wise. All right, Amy, thanks for the call. And uh, Nancy, I would say maybe w- w- most banks, I think, offer maybe a, a, um, an account that doesn't have a lot of fees or minimum balances. So to kind of avoid right. user fees, it might yeah. be a good idea to get in a bank account. Well, I... And that this is an issue. There is, um, especially in Mississippi, we have a pretty fair population of what we call unbanked people. And these are folks who live on cash. Uh, they don't have bank accounts. Um, these days, it's really difficult to transact business without a bank account. You know, how do, how do you move money around? How do you pay for things um, when someone is at a distance from you, when you need to write a check? You can't get a credit card. You can't get a debit card. Uh, you can't order online. All of those things become a problem. And so having that bank, which is the intermediary, is very valuable. So they often will have accounts available. Sometimes they're student accounts. That's a good way to get college students started with an account where you don't have those fees, and they can start to uh, develop a relationship with the bank. And the banks want that. They want those starter accounts because they're hoping you will grow with them and you'll be later on uh, accumulating things and uh, working with them on all kinds of things. We're going to talk uh, some a bit here about uh, managing holiday debt with our guest, Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. So, Bruce, as we make it through the holiday seasons, come January, we are going to have to uh, face the piper, isn't that the saying? Whatever the saying is. But anyway, we're going to have to do something about it. So uh, give us some tips and advice on how we tackle. Uh, I think it's face the music, pay the piper. There we go. Yes, Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's, that sounds about right. <laughs> so anyway, Bruce, if you would yeah. give us some tips on, on getting started on getting that holiday debt paid off. Well, it may be a little bit painful, but I think the first step that, that people need to take when they're clear of the holidays and they know they're going to have some debt to repay is just simply to get organized and to uh, and, and take a look at all of your debts, uh, making note of how much you owe and who you owe, and even uh, just as importantly, uh, note what the interest rate is on those balances and what the cost of repayment is. Uh, it's, it's very important to, to know uh, who you have to repay, and then you can set up a repayment strategy based on that. But what a lot of people do, unfortunately, is they'll wait until the end of the month and the statement comes in and there's that initial shock and that holiday debt hangover that happens uh, and, and people are scrambling without a strategy. And sometimes when they move forward without a strategy and they start uh, uh, repaying based on panic, they may not be picking the best method to uh, effectively and affordably repay de- the debt that they owe uh, from the holidays. So it's very important just to take a deep breath as early as you can in January, go online, look at your balances, look at who you owe, 
uh, jot all that down, and then you can start uh, working on strategy. And also understand the difference between uh, collateralized debt and non-collateralized debt. So your credit card, there is no collateral. If you don't make that payment, yes, you're going to ding your credit score, your credit history, but they can't come and get your stuff. If you don't make that payment on your car, it can be hauled away. If you don't make that payment on your house, um, you can be... uh, foreclosed on. Uh, Certainly, if you don't make your rent payment, your landlord can eventually ask you to depart. So make sure you understand the different types of debt, what is the most pressing to pay, what you can put off and deal with later on. Yeah, that helps you prioritize uh, uh, when you're you're going through these, just to know the difference between the uh, collateralized and non-collateralized. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Email money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about holiday debt, and we've got some more holiday debt statistics for you next. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. A program reminder, Tuesdays at 10, listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio immediately following this show. Uh, From a February survey by monkeygeek.com, more than one quarter of Americans regret their level of holiday spending. Most wished they'd spent less, but some regret not spending more. Credit cards were the payment method of choice, with 65% of holiday spending paid for with credit cards. The more credit cards someone had, the more of their spending they financed with credit. By February 11th of 2022, 40% of Americans had not paid off their 2021 holiday debt. So that's interesting. Um, and it's, um, as you said, to me, when you have multiple credit cards, the idea that you're spending more is because, you you know, one gets to the limit and then you've got to start on the second one. And I'll, Or it, you just sprinkle it among several. I, I do remember a call years ago, Kevin, and this was a caller who had 22 credit cards. It took my breath away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Bruce, um, let's uh, look on uh, the, the the new year. Uh, maybe someone has done well, paid off holiday debt. Think you know they've got their things organized and prioritized. Uh, what are some tips for someone who's sitting in a little bit better financial position to start out the new year? Yeah, I think I think again going back to some of the comments that uh, that uh, were made early in the show, and Nancy pointed out that we need to approach the new year with a degree of caution uh, and maybe a little bit of a conservative approach to managing our finances. I think that would apply for people who are even in a good place where they paid off their holiday debt, their balances are low, they're keeping an eye on a, on a, on their utilization ratio and it's, it's within range uh, to help them keep a good credit score. Just reduce your dependence on credit in the year ahead. I think this is going to be a really good year to try to borrow less and try to save more uh, because of all the uncertainties that are coming with regard to a possible recession, uh, with the uh, prospect of continued high cost of living, uh, with the uncertainties in the job market. It's just, I I think this is the year to circle the wagons, uh, protect your credit, credit rating and credit standing, and to bolster your finances, uh, build your savings, create a solid foundation for yourself in case you do face an emergency. Um, if you are in good standing with a credit card company, what are the chances that if you were to call up and ask them that they would, say, possibly reduce the interest rate on your card? Well, just calling increases your chances. And we conducted a survey a few years ago and found that 
so few people do that. There are very few people that think to call up their credit card company and have that discussion. Uh, and these are people that might be in really good standing with their credit score and might qualify for a better uh, interest rate. And I think the one motivating piece about that is to think about when you opened that account, what was your credit score? And what did that, what rate did you qualify for as a result of having that credit score? And then think in that time, has your credit score increased? Well, if your credit score has increased in the time since you opened the account, chances are pretty good, or at least better, that you could call up your creditor and have a discussion and possibly negotiate a lower interest rate. The, I think the, uh, the catch-22 there is that across the board, interest rates have gone up. So the average interest rate on revolving uh, credit cards right now is somewhere in the neighborhood of 16%. That's average. Of course, people with better credit get lower credit, uh, lower lower interest rates because of their better credit. Uh, but it all it, it doesn't hurt to have that discussion, and you never know what you're going to get unless you ask. So why not just pick up the phone and call? Uh, but but see how things have changed with your credit before you have that discussion. Bruce, I think the big problem is that most people don't even know what they're paying. And uh, this happens all the time, even on mortgages and car loans. I will ask people, what's your interest rate? And they are clueless. Um, And certainly that credit card rate, because it is variable, it can change. Um, And we had um, laws recently that that required them to print that in, in, in in a particular font so it was larger. But most people don't even know what that rate is. And they're usually shocked when you quote 16 percent. Uh, that's really high. I have seen interest rates on credit cards close to 30 percent, and that's been yeah. recently. That's crazy to be paying that kind of money, especially if you've had some improvements in your credit score. And you are right. It never hurts to ask. Just pick up the phone, and if you're trying to deal with that credit, knock it down. You know you're going to have interest charges along the way. See if you can get a better rate. Um, a lot of people will look at balance transfers moving over to a 0% card for a period of time, which you can do, but you need to be very careful when you do that because there are fees to do that, usually around 3%. You need to mark your calendar make sure that debt is gone because they'll suck you with high, high rates at the end of that period. Yeah, that's uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the whole thing about people – familiarity with the interest rate because one of the things you also need to know too not just you don't need to know the percentage uh, by itself you need to know the percentage and what that translates into uh, in terms of cost what does that 16 percent mean in terms of dollars each month that are added to the balance that you owe uh, so I think that helps people at least get a little bit of perspective with their budget uh, but I agree I think people it's, it's very important to know your interest rate you might be surprised when you look at it, you might be shocked because interest rates right now are pretty high. You know, one thing that uh, actually Nancy taught me to do is uh, to actually look at your statement of your credit card when it comes in each month. It's yes. a little bit more challenging because it's not a paper copy anymore, but it's amazing how, you know, before that came up, I would not ever do that. And it's, first of all, it makes sure that there are no charges that shouldn't be on there. But again, it helps you get an idea of, you know, what you've been spending on and maybe ways that you could cut back. Uh, what you always will find on there are subscriptions you've signed up for that maybe you've forgotten about, or maybe you don't even use any more. So when you look at that every month, you can ask that question, does this really offer value to me still? All right, Bruce, since it's a holiday show, we got about 30 seconds left. If you could uh, put a bow on our discussion for uh, us. Yes. <laughs> well, I think you want to have a happy holiday and you want to make sure that it's as happy as possible. So 
make sure that you're spending within your limit, that you're trying to reduce your uh, dependence on debt, and you're not carrying over balances into the new year because you want to avoid that debt hangover. But the most important thing is to enjoy the holiday for what it what it truly means and spend time with family and the people that you love. And that's the kind of spending that's better than spending in the store. That's a great way to wrap things up. And yeah, let's, let's remember uh, that uh, we like, uh, you know, exchanging gifts, but it is time to share with family and friends. And so that's hopefully uh, what most folks will do on this holiday season. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. Our call screener today was Charles Arnold. So for Dr. Nancy Lontridge-Anderson and Bruce McClary from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us Tuesdays at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 